0: Hey guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here today with an interview with Mitch Wagner. Mitch is a uh, university professor focusing on the uh, issue of uh, climate change and the environment, and uh, we had crossed paths and uh, thought it would be worthwhile getting a a unique view of what's going on and and what we can do. So Mitch, thanks for taking the time to uh, chat today. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, What do you do, and and how did you come about doing it?
1: Well, I'm originally from Missouri. I'm in Connecticut now, but uh, I uh, (coughs) grew up in the Ozarks, and in, in nature, you know, country boy, and went off to the University of Missouri, and then went to Alaska for 13 years where I went to grad school, studied ecology there. And then got a job in Western Connecticut State. Um, I'm a big picture ecologist, meaning I'm uh, most more interested in the large scale large scale processes, and so climate change is an increasingly important part of that. And um, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago, I got a chance to get my first public talk on climate change, and I've been doing it ever since, and doing quite a lot of it lately
0: awesome um i now i actually i i noticed um that you had actually given a presentation at uh, jane goodall's uh, conference um i think well, that i mean I, i'm uh, we have uh, the jane goodall center which center. is an okay. organization that was established by
1: jane herself in collaboration with our university 20 some odd years ago and uh, right now i'm uh, the uh,
0: president, the director of it,
1: ah. um, and it's not, you know, a, a, a big prestigious. It's more of a committee chairmanship than anything else. But nonetheless, I'm involved, and uh, so that's how I'm connected with her. I have met her several times over the years.
0: Awesome. Well, I, I noticed that one of your uh, one of your talks was uh, about uh, what's going on in the Arctic. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously things are in flux and it's hard to keep up with, but, you know, what what's the most recent uh, information that you have based on kind of your background, what's going on in the Arctic and how that affects climate change now?
1: Yeah, well, what, one of the things that's happening is something called the uh, changes to the Arctic vortex. Um, the Arctic air mass is usually separated from the temperate air mass where we live. Um, And as long as differences in temperature, the differences in um, the density of the air is high, then the jet stream. You know, we've all experienced jet stream if we've flown from east to west or west to east, um, the the stronger the jet stream. So when is a big difference in density and temperature between those two air masses. The jet stream is fairly straight, and the cold uh, air stays where it belongs, and the warm air stays down here. And when, when the Arctic warms up, as it is right now, and, and will be for the rest of our lives, um, then what happens is the jet stream gets wibbly-wobbly. That's a technical term,
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, that means that cold air will spill down on us, and really warm air will move up to where you wouldn't expect it to be. Mm. One of the things that's happening right now is a crazy patch of hot air, which is parked itself over the northern part of Siberia in Russia, mm. and it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's like no one in living memory has ever experienced this before. And so it's melting things quicker than it should, and releasing greenhouse gases from the permafrost, and basically stressing animals and plants and people out. That's
0: one of the things. What's the uh, What's the temperature in the uh, in Siberia at this point? Is it uh, in the nineties or?
1: Uh, yeah, it's probably in the in the eighties, which for that part of the world at this uh, at this time is is pretty pretty warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is uh, not quite as high a latitude as, as Norilsker. I think that's where the this particular thing is centered. Um, and occasionally we'd have days in the 80s, but not very often, but this is a big hot heat dome that's basically sat there mm. and hasn't moved much recently. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really weird.
0: How has um how has conditions in uh, Greenland fared um with that kind of um warmth? Yeah, I mean they occasionally will have their hot seasons
1: too, but generally speaking, the Arctic is melting twice. uh, The Arctic is heating twice as fast as the rest of the world. What that means is the sea ice extent is growing um, not as much in the winter and melting more in the summer in the lives of my kids, people will be able to take a cruise right to the North Pole in the summer hmm. without getting off the boat. Wow. And, and the reason this is crazy is that when you uh, melt ice, which is reflective, like the, the summer sun will shine on it, a lot of the heat, the heat of the sun will bounce back up into, up into space. When you replace a reflective surface like snow and ice with open water, you are you are replacing that reflective surface with one that is absorbing so that it, you have something, a phenomenon, where the warmer it gets, the less ice, the less ice, more solar radiation is absorbed in the water and the warmer it gets.
0: So it accelerates so, the whole process.
1: Positive, positive feedback. Yeah. And uh, and so we're kind of in that sort of spiral at the moment, and I don't know how we get out of it um, in the you know in the short term. Um, I mean we're just a bunch of stuff we're going to have to do just to save ourselves. Um, and one of the nice things about COVID-19, <laughs> if that's possible to say nice things in COVID-19 in the same sentence, is that it has uh, given our atmosphere a bit of a rest. Hmm. In that we have not been uh, burning as much fossil fuels because hey, my car is parked in my parking in my driveway here, and I put one tank of gas in it since
0: March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely uh, one of the positives I wanted to to chat about. Um, mm-hmm. The challenge, though, and I saw this actually literally about an hour ago that um, they announced that the uh, CO two reading, I guess, at uh, Monalea is uh was 417 which is still uh the highest ever in terms of this time of year um in the last 24 million years actually yeah so i mean even it's like the uh the analogy of how do you get a uh an aircraft carrier to to turn it's going to turn very slowly you know yes so even with uh, the positive impact of what happened with COVID in terms of slowing the uh, global economy, it's going to take a lot more than that to actually make a real impact in terms of the uh, trying to get things turned around.
1: It gives us a contrast, you know, when, when uh, the air gets dirtier slowly. It's the frog in the, in the pot of water that's been up that, that yeah. Al Gore likes to use in his talks. Um, when the air is warming slowly and the smog is growing slowly, you kind of don't notice it, but suddenly if it's gone, Then you notice it, and then maybe we'll think, okay, maybe we don't want to get in this situation again. We need to do something about this. For instance, Beijing and Delhi and Kathmandu, cities that have pretty bad air. Uh, Apparently, I saw a picture, but apparently you can see Mount Everest from Kathmandu
0: for the first time in living memory. Yeah yeah and you you've probably seen these pictures too, with mm-hmm. the dirty air in, in New Delhi with the clean air
1: in New Delhi. You know that happened such a quick thing. Quick time that uh, people are going to remember it and maybe they'll when it starts getting dirtier again, they'll
0: express themselves. So the challenge is how do we get that kind of result in terms of clean air and reduction of carbon release and still keep the economy going? Like, yeah. How do we how do we bridge that gap?
1: Well, we have to shift away from fossil fuels and towards renewables. Um, and uh this time of One of the things that um, that uh, another thing we've noticed is that that uh, we have been emitting a lot less carbon over this time. And this is an excellent time to to accelerate the shift towards renewables away from fossil fuels, because you know, I mean, fossil fuels are an extractive energy uh, energy form. You, they're, the prices and the availability are subject to all sorts of crazy stuff. And um, I, this is just
0: a good time, I think, mm-hmm. to make that switch. If we have people in charge who have the the will and the wisdom to do it. Yeah, I mean, definitely the linchpin is political leadership, and which is something that is uh, in general lacking uh, in terms of the climate today. Yeah, especially this country. Yeah. What, um, I'm curious, um, what is the perspective of your students as you're teaching classes on ecology and, and climate? Um, what's their perspective?
1: Well, you know, the people of their age have an easier time um, wrapping the brain around it than the old folks do. I mean, my father, uh, eighty-some year old, uh, living in Oklahoma. Uh, I have to be gentle about the way I talk about this stuff, huh. because you know our time is short. I'm not going to wreck time together with him by saying I did, because certain attitudes are just ingrained in you know, at different times in, in history that where he were his former of years and it's very difficult to get his brain past that. These guys, well, maybe advantaged but we're not in we're not in today. I mean, I'm not in Oklahoma but I'm in Connecticut. Um, are uh, pretty much, you know, taking right to it. I don't have to do much hard sell, um, not that I but you know, I basically paint the facts out for them, and they get it. They they understand. And and the thing is, they have more to lose than old folks do.
0: Yeah.
1: Older folks they better not be careful here. Because you know, I'm I mean, I'm gonna be around for hopefully a couple more decades. But my my kids are younger, and my grandson's two years old. I mean, you know, he's got. He's got a lot of years ahead of him hopefully, And um, and you know, he's not the kind of course one to make decisions, but my daughters do, and they totally get the danger of status quo.
0: Hmm. How do you how do you deal with the uh, kind of the ethical difference between first world and third world countries in dealing with climate change? Because it's yeah. that seems to really be the challenge in terms of getting everybody on board globally, even if we had different political leadership here.
1: Yeah, my um, in, in the in the ter- in terms of uh, third world countries want to develop and uh,
0: the fastest way to develop, so they so they believe and so on. That yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, my wife's from Uganda, East Africa and uh, sort of lost the Dominican Republic, and so we had these conversations quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> I think that there has been such a sales job on small countries promising riches and streets made of gold and so on by extractive industries that never really come through. And There are a number of um, examples of countries that were just basically trashed uh, by letting ExxonMobil or whoever uh, drill in their country, Equatorial Guinea, Nigeria, there's a bunch of them, Um, examples that people in other countries see that are not necessarily in the position where they're going to make a killing by letting a uh, you know, uh, foreign oil companies still been and it built that <clears throat> it's not as hard to sell as one might think does that answer your question
0: it's not a hard to sell
1: to the people in those countries that renewable energy is a oh, much better yeah. um, a, a much better option for them
0: well okay so it's not as hard to sell for the people but I think the challenge is really, when you look at the economic system, it's dominated by large corporations that are basically acting as independent actors, like you said, Exxon or whoever, Mm -hmm. and their influence on the government, which a lot of times doesn't really match up to the interests of the people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that other than to, um, you know, for those of us in, in the West to reduce our own um, carbon emissions as best we can and put pressure on our, our um, government government officials to shift the grid in the big scale. Uh, utilities towards
0: non urban based I'm an ecologist not an economist so you know? mm-hmm. well so going from uh, going towards ecology then you know what are some of the impacts that climate change has in terms of species loss like what is what does species loss mean in terms of you know the future mm-hmm. of mankind like why is that relevant?
1: physical, chemical processes a whole lot of animals, and plants, and bacteria, and fungi, and a whole lot of them, the more diverse they are, the more stable and stronger the ecosystem is. By reducing the number of different kinds of organisms that are in a uh, ecological system, it becomes uh, more brittle, less rugged, and more likely um, to fall apart, okay, we yeah, get the shock hits it in some fashion.
0: And we're and we're looking at, like, many different kinds of shocks, like you said, with the temperature change and yeah. what's going on in Siberia. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, just like what happened to countries of the world when an unexpected shock that they pandemic hit. Yeah. You know, and Matt, just look at what that's done to, uh, you know, the world financial systems, just that. So you can imagine a um, a shock such as um, polluting industries, and and uh, or changes that are a result of fossil fuel carbon release in other places, such as sea level rise, such as increasingly strength of storms, such as um, the increased severity and duration of locust swarms, that's something that hit East Africa and now Southern Asia big time this
0: year. Yeah, I saw that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, that's crazy, that's people, people with heebie-jeebies over here. But imagine you are a farmer off in the backwoods, in you know, a rural area of Uganda, in mean, Africa, and you know, you're a small horn Make enough money to feed your kids and and maybe a little extra about you and something to school and whatnot. And you see this big herb of this big swarm of locusts coming your way. I mean, what, do you, what what's going through your head at that point? Hmm. And so, I mean, talk about a shock. Uh, you know, you go out there and you get everyone out there with sticks and whatever and try to, try to push them off, but it's a losing battle. Yeah. I think is, is is weird synergistic things. like having um, hurricanes hitting lowland areas like southern Bangladesh during a uh, during a pandemic. So you have you know you have the uh, the pandemic. Well, are the the, uh, the the flooding caused by the hurricane caused people to need to find shelter. And yet, they're finding a shelter jammed together in hurricane shelters with a lot of other people, and they're not social distancing and all that. And so, you have one problem affecting the other problem. Exactly. Uh, there was a big, there was a near miss. Well, it wasn't a near miss, but it was as bad as it could have been. Just recently in eastern India and southern Bangladesh, hmm. where a big, great, big hurricane. Uh, we called the cyclones, and basically slammed into the Sunderbong area, where you've got you know 16 million people living within a meter of sea level, uh,
0: and not rich people either; you know, poor folk. Yeah, yeah. What, um, what you mentioned uh, the locust problem, uh, but you know one of the one of the issues that seems to be really kind of coming to a crescendo is food security oh, man. you know another issue that you know you add to those problems of the flooding and then the pandemic and then food security like how do we how do we uh, deal with that in an era with the changes that we're seeing
1: well um we're going to have to do with a great deal of compassion. And we're going to have to do it in ways, perhaps, that we're not thinking of in, ter- in terms of. Uh, the, uh, there are a, a bunch of smart people who have been trying to isolate and identify those factors that human civilization could change to have the biggest effect on, uh, on carbon emissions and, and so on. And the biggest one, if you take these two together, is the education of girls. And uh, and making uh, family planning available.
0: Mm. Put those two together, and it is the biggest
1: the biggest effect we could have throughout the world. And that's not necessarily something they would probably just come to your mind if you're trying to brainstorm this yourself. I mean, the end is it for individuals, and I tell this to my students students, and it's a horribly invasive thing to say intrusive thing to say to to young people is that the best thing they could do for the future world is to have one fewer child
0: yeah
1: and not none but one fewer the other thing you know at least in the educated West uh, people are kind of having mind to have fewer babies anyway um, but it's harder in places in the third world where you know, um, they may not have, well, they have, they have cultural reasons to have children, and they also may not have ways of avoiding it uh, easily. And children are, you know, our help on the farm.
0: So the the biggest impact being having less children puts less future stress in terms of right. global resources.
1: And, and has. Children
0: and and this is not
1: an inconsiderable issue. The
0: emancipation of women. Hmm.
1: Think of all the all the brilliant people. I mean, I often think what it would be like if no one had given um, Louis Armstrong a trumpet. You know, what if, what would what would it have been like if if um, you know, Einstein hadn't gotten into learned physics and things like that. But you know, there's all these unknowables. Uh, what what would the world be? How would it be better if people had access to uh, education, and, and including including young women? So yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of things like that which are not the first things you think of, but you know, are kind of force multipliers on other things.
0: Yeah. So it's more looking at things systematically with how things interrelate to each other that that's needed. Yeah. yeah. And that's a real challenge for, you know, I think when, you, when you're when you talking to people about these kinds of issues.
1: Yeah, it is. It's easier for me to talk to 20-something um, because they already get it than to talk to their grandparents. Yeah, I mean, the the, the truth of it is that, you know, my audiences, uh, when I'm doing public talks, are fairly self-selected, so I'm generally not getting the people who are, you know, going to blow a gasket at things I say, although occasionally I get one, Um, but, and so I'm talking mostly to, you know, people who are um, willing to listen to what I have to say, but, yeah,
0: how can we uh, how can we stretch that um, to a wider audience? Have you given any thought to that?
1: Um, well, education. Well, I mean, I'm an educator, so of course, education is what I think about. And so. Um,
0: <clears throat> I just saw that. Uh, I just saw that New Jersey has included climate change in their curriculum uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the coming year.
1: Connecticut has a little bit of it. Too, and there is there's um, a, a bill in the state house that, or the state legislature, which people are trying to get it passed. But <clears> once <throat> you, the problem is that if you um, legislate that kids are going to get more climate uh, change education, you have to train all the teachers to do it to them. Yeah. And um, that's what i <clears throat> One of the things I try to focus on is that I've been here long enough that a lot of these local science teachers in this area, Tambury area, are my former students. So I kind of have a network. And so I'm feeding them information as best I can. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for one friendly neighborhood ecology professor, that's kind of a big thing. Um, you know, and I give as many talks as I possibly can. And we, I've just got a, a course approved um, I teach other climate change courses, but a course approved that's uh, called a general education course. It's one of the courses that um, students have, no matter what their major, have to, uh, to take some classes outside of their discipline just to broaden their education. And uh, this is one of those courses that will be available to every student on campus. Not that they'll all sign up for it, but back to business majors. Stuff in there. I love talking to business majors.
0: What why is that? Well, because they're going to end up in the world of
1: business, most of them. And they're going to be making financial decisions that are going to affect the rest of us. And plus, I, I have someone in the management department who always invites me over to give guest lectures in their course so I have it in there.
0: Mm-hmm what role what role does uh, investments play in terms of kind of changing the dynamic well
1: uh, i'm not an expert on this i have my board three b and i've given it a lot of thought about how to best you know how to best put our our family retirement money um <clears throat> and allocated and all that and <clears throat> and uh, you know, I I think you have to you you know you could you could talk about this a lot better than I could. It, it, deciding what you know every every uh, dollar that you have in the bank and you spend is a,
0: is a signal to the system. And what signal do you want to send? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it and it and it's it's very effective. Um, if you look at what's happened with uh, the divestment movement over the past couple of years. It has really constricted the flow of money going to large fossil fuel companies. And it's gotten to the point where going into the COVID crisis, they were basically on life support and basically going out of business quickly. Um, One of the ironies is... The financial support given by the government to a variety of companies has also made its way to fossil fuel companies, which were, you know, already on the ropes before COVID. So, um, in some ways, it gave them a a bailout um, to fight another day. But, there there are a bunch of
1: Economic muckamucks who are warning that uh, fossil fuels aren't a good investment at this point because
0: of all the potential for stranded assets. Well, they and the truth is they haven't been a good investment. You look at it, their performance over the past two, three years, and it's been abysmal. Um, they've yeah. been the worst performing sector, and there's a reason for that. It's because of that thought process. They're they're basically sunken assets, what is not being. Um, Well, now it's being properly identified, but clearly there's a lot more risk. And that's that's kind of my approach. I look at things from a standpoint of trying to identify the risk and avoid that risk. And, you know, even if you look at it from that simple standpoint without looking at even any of the other climate issues, it just makes sense to not take that risk with your financial future.
1: Stock and from uh, from fossil fuels as well, which is kind of ironic.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they made their fortune with the uh, Standard yeah, Oil think. Trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the truth of it is, there is so much
1: uh, fossil fuel reserves owned by so many different companies and um, and, uh, and 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 petrostates that if you took it all and actually sold the stuff and burned it it would fuckers. so what we desperately need as a global civilization is most of that stuff not to be burned
0: yeah yeah and again that takes a different way of valuing what's important to the economy well, and it also takes
1: um, being able to put uh, you know value on the externalities
0: that's exactly it
1: Um, All these things I discuss in my bumbling ecology professor way with my students. Um, I also we have a really rocking honors program, and so I get a chance of teaching uh, once a year a interdisciplinary course to the best students on campus, future PhDs, you know, uh, later in life, and it just it's the most wonderful stimulating
0: thing in my career and uh, so we get to talk about all
1: this stuff that's awesome oh man it 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 just keeps me going
0: what would you um what's your advice for what people can do on their own in terms of trying to make a difference like how can we how can we address these issues in our daily life
1: can all change light bulbs. That's something we should do, and that's good for our soul, and getting, buying cars that have a a lower carbon footprint, and all those things we should do, but the scale of those is too small for individuals to have a huge effect uh, on the big picture, and so what we need to do is vote, for God's sakes, vote, and make sure that we know who we're voting for and what their policies are. And you know whether we agree with their policies on these big picture things, like should the government be throwing money at fossil fuel companies, Um, and so on, and and put pressure on on these folks. You know, I mean, even if the presidential candidate that. I hope wins this next time comes and has reason some reasonable um, policies in line in mind for the environment and energy and all that. We're still going to have to get up in his face and make sure that and hold him to
0: it. Yeah, yeah. One of the interesting things from the last financial crisis when Obama was first elected was one of the first things to be jettisoned was his green jobs initiative. It drew a lot of uh, attention because of uh, Van Jones was targeted by the right wing and considered too too extremist, I guess, in a liberal context. But the reality was he combined creating jobs with green technology. And he was going to do it on a national scale with this program. And it it ended up being dead on arrival, and honestly, I think it was—it was probably one of the worst defeats from the Obama administration.
1: Well, you know, it's—it's—it—I it, I don't want to say the time wasn't right because it would have been better for all of us yeah. if it had gone through. But you know, I think next time we try something like that, we'll have a better go
0: at it. Well, like you said, we just—it goes back to you got to. Hold the feet to the fire and yeah. not just assume yeah. that it gets done once the ballot is cast. Yeah, I think um, Biden has been talking
1: to his people, his people have been talking to Inzley's people up in Washington State. Inzley, in my mind anyway, had the most solid um, climate policy of any of the people who were running for president for a bit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though he wasn't in for very long. and um, ideally if Biden does win that you know uh, Injali's people will have a big or maybe Injali himself will have a big big influence on him and the rest of us just have to be willing to go out and yell
0: yeah yeah
1: greatest day of my life uh, other than you know wedding and babies being born and all that stuff was my wife and I marching along in the people's climate march in 19 or 2017
0: along Pennsylvania Avenue, with
1: 200,000
0: people. Yeah, we were in New York City for that. What's that? We were in New York City for that. We yeah? Yeah, and uh, you're right. I mean, it was like a half million people, and uh, we'd never been through anything like that, but it definitely um, changed your perspective. Yeah,
1: I've never been a, a crowds person. Haven't grown up in small town Missouri, but um, there's something energetic about that sort of
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, that sort of thing.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. If uh, people want to follow up with you, how can they uh, how can they reach out to you? Uh,
1: my university email address is fine. Uh, w a g e n e r m at w EDU.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. And
1: that's that's my uh, my university email address.
0: I appreciate it. But uh, I can get by the by the way. I mean, in the world of
1: Zoom, um, I'm not limited to local groups to give talks to. If some other group you're you're aware of would like a Zoominar. Um, you know, and if you have the, if someone has the technology to host a Zoom uh, meeting, then I'd be happy
0: to chat. I don't charge anything. That sounds good. Actually, I'm I'm doing some work with an organization called PossiblePlanet.org. Um, I'll uh, talk to them and maybe we can set something up.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, In fact, I I have a a a um, uh, invitation. I kind of a, Uh, A loose invitation from doctors at our local hospital. I think they want to see
0: what the next panic is. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, again, thanks for taking the time to chat, and um, we'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you.